Let's go live. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back. Hour number two here of the Saturday show. Adrian Lizer here with Jake Hatch. You can follow us on Twitter at AP Lizer and at Jacob C. Hatch as uh, all the coverage of the local college football scene is going to get underway here at the Zone Sports Network. So don't miss any of it. It's already been going for a month. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, but now we're playing. I now games are played. Games count now. Games will be counting. Um I want to let you hear from Paul Meyerberg of USA Today Sports. He's a uh, semi-regular guest with Tony in Austin. Does a great job. Um, and uh, I, f- I find his analysis very honest and open. And uh, he gets into a lot of that here. But pay attention to where he has Utah, what he believes they can accomplish, and what BYU as a program should be doing in the scheme of things um as a in the g5 to p5 level as an independent a lot of fascinating things to say so here is that conversation with him and tony and austin joining us right now paul meyerberg with usa today paul how are you man good guys how are you been i am football or what I, yeah! I'm, I'm just ready for this thing to get started man let's <laughs> let's do this uh when you what was your first thought when you uh saw all of the preseason rankings come out uh for the two polls you mean yeah um you know, I I think it was indicative of the fact that we've got five, maybe six teams that kind of rule college football right now. Because I looked at the poll, and I've got a poll that's maybe a little bit different than, than what our coaches poll or what the AP poll is. I think it's just like a consensus that your top five is A, Clemson, Alabama, 1-2, and then Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State in some order, right? Then after that, like, Michigan could be really good. Florida could be pretty good. LSU could be pretty good. But... I mean, they also these teams could also be like in my mind seventeen to twenty at years end nine and three eight and four theoretically possibly. So there seems to be just like this power vacuum after the top five, and with a bunch of teams from six through ten that are just like there because they're there, and we've just agreed that they're there. So that's how I felt about the poll. I'm not surprised by anything. I don't think there's any like major omissions or misses or anything. I'm just struck by the fact that. Outside of that top five, you're basically just putting in helmet names that you know or that played a good bowl game or won nine games last year. So I don't really put a lot of stock into how six through ten would play out. I just think one through five is pretty much set in stone. We had you on after the uh, post-spring preseason way too early, 25, and you didn't have Utah in at that time. Where would you slate Utah now? Oh, I've, I've changed my tune. Uh, look, I put out my one through 130. I've got Utah number 13 in the land of all the football teams in the country, number 13. And, like, Oregon, I think, is 11, Washington's 10. So it's all a toss-up to me. Why I didn't have them in the post-spring, I think, was just based off – I don't remember what I said. But, look, if you look at this team and you evaluate it, yeah, are they perfect? Probably not. But individual pieces, I mean, a cornerback who's an All-American, mm-hmm. I've got two li- – look, I've got three defenders on my All-American team, which came out yesterday. They're both two of the linemen and, and Jalen Johnson. Got a great running back. Look, I mean, there's a lot to like about Utah, and not to mention the fact, which I probably didn't consider in the spring, the South Division is good. It's fine. But compared to the North, where you're Oregon or UW, and you've got to go through each other, and you've got to go through Stanford, you've got to go through Wazoo, you've got to go through a Cal team that will always make you play hard, they'll always play great defense, I think the road for Utah, despite the crossover games, is just a little bit smoother. 
So, yeah, top 15 for me. And, and in the last month or so, at least, I've been plugging him as a dark horse for the playoffs because I do think that if the Big Ten kind of eats itself up, which they could do because it's a good league, and Utah's 12-1 and at the end of the year with a really good win against one of Oregon or Washington to kind of put an exclamation point on it, they're going to have a case, you know. So I do think highly of Utah. And if you're a Utes fan, and, and I got your I got your letters and your emails, <laughs> I hope I hope it's okay now. Hope we're, hope we're good. Oh man, uh, the Pac-12 is hopeful to have a bounce back year for the conference after a couple of what I would consider watered down years. Do you expect them to achieve that in 2019? And in your eyes, uh, what what would that have to look like? Look, like I said, I think there are three teams that are good enough to do it. You know, I don't think Utah for a lot of people is that third team. I think they are, you know, and I think they're, if you have three teams, you know, in the top 15 in, in August, maybe there's a reputation swing. And maybe these teams, if all three of them, UW and the Ducks and the Utes, they step forward and live up to this potential, I think it'll change the narrative to a degree. You know, I think an issue, as always, is this kind of reputation. You know, and I think in the South, that's going to hurt Utah, especially if SC is not, you know, right back to, Nine and three, or nine and two, going into the Notre Dame game, or whatever, and, and having a chance to to get into a New Year's Six. I think that's an issue for Utah. But look, I really think highly of Chris Pierce in Washington. Obviously, have a tremendous respect for Whittingham and Utah. I think Oregon has the pieces, surely on the offensive line, that quarterback to be really good. Um, I think it will be a better year. You know, I just think at the same time, you do need Wazoo to be just as good in that range, nine or ten wins. You need Stanford to fight through a really tough schedule and get to eight and four, nine and three, just to kind of bolster the case. But I just think that talent-wise, it's just ridiculous to say that, that they are out of it because of these three teams. You know, I think each of these three teams is good enough to get it done. Paul, when someone or something has a reputation that is so ingrained in people's minds, you either have to fix that by being very, very, very loud or very, very, very consistent and patient over time fixing that. I wonder how much you, uh, Pac-12 playing late at night on the East Coast and uh, reportedly they're going to move to earlier times next season, not this season, but next. I wonder how much that feeds into the reputation that the Pac-12 has because even if they came out and lit the world on fire, I don't know how quickly – the entire nation would be to get on board and say, oh, the Pac-12 is better. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, look, it's an age-old issue. It's been an issue since TV's been around. The fact that Pac-12 games are played late, I mean, that's just, it sucks, but it's just kind of the way it is. I think a bigger issue is that for a lot of people who do my job and for consumers of the sport, just to say that the Pac-12 isn't good enough is just an easy shortcut. You know what I mean? And I know this seems like really small potatoes, but guys put together their top four and everyone tweets it or writes it and shares it. And you want to get that right and you want to be safe. And for a lot of people, it's just safe. It's just safe to say the Pac-12 won't be good because it saves you, you know, it's just like the easy pick, you mm-hmm. know, and you kind of take that low-hanging fruit and just say it. Um, I don't know what the Pac-12 could do to change that. And clearly there's an issue from leadership on down in terms of the narrative and what they're presenting to the nation. Um I don't know what can be done. And I wish if I had the answer, I'd go work for the Pac-12 and, and like quadruple my salary. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> but I, I don't know what the answer is for the Pac-12 other than, look, there are great coaches in this league and there are great programs in this league. And if you hammer away at that enough, and if the Pac-12 blows up the fact that, hey, we have Chris Peterson and we have a top quarterback, you know, and Justin Herbert, and we've got this unbelievable defensive line at Utah and all these guys and all these coaches, and they can play that up and hammer it home, maybe at some point it'll stick. I just think that for a lot of people who create the narrative in college sports, it's easy to say that the Pac-12 won't do anything, and then it repeats itself. 
Right. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I think it's a repeating cycle of they won't be good, and then you don't cover them, and all of a sudden it's December and the Pac-12 struggles to get recognition. And I think far too often voters, writers, people like that, especially in college football, they want to be right. So they look for the things that make them correct and maximize those, right? Like I, yeah, I think that happens far too often. Um, have you... Uh, as you kind of witness that across the, 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 the landscape of college football, has that seemed more extreme in the last couple of years than even some of the previous editions when viewing the Pac-12? Yeah, I, I do. And I think it's also part of the kind of culture we live in in terms of how we share information and, and speak with each other and that you speak in sound bites and you speak in short 140-character bursts or whatever you can do on Twitter now. So I, I do think that is part of the dialogue. And look, it's not like you can't get out of that. Because I, I was thinking this past summer, because I was covering the Big Ten and writing about the Big Ten, that it was like six or seven years ago, if not a little bit less, where the Big Ten was the laughing stock. And you'd go online or you'd talk to fans or you'd write something, and it was that the Big Ten would always you know, melt in a big moment. They had one team in Ohio State, and they were slow. It was a plotting league. They were behind the times. And now, I mean, this is the best the Big Ten has been to me in maybe 15 or 16 years mm-hmm. in terms of depth. I mean, they had six or seven teams worthy, eight teams really worthy of being in the top 25. So it can change. You know, I just think that for right now, the Pac-12, the conversation is so heightened, even compared to five or six years ago, that it's tougher to kind of turn the ship. But uh, you can do it. I mean, the Pac, the Big Ten did it. They invested in coaches. They invested in facilities. The Pac-12 has done that to a degree. But um, obviously, there's a difference in the bottom line in terms of what each league is bringing in for its, for its members. But the Pac-12 can shift this thing. I think it does start with, even back then, the Big Ten had Ohio State. So the Pac-12 needs somebody, whether it's Washington, Oregon, Utah, SC, to have somebody carry the flag and be there three of every four years, three of every five years in the Mm -hmm. mix in the top six would be big time. And I think that is one difference between what the Big Ten had and what the Pac-12 has today. What are the teams that you think right out of the gate will disappoint, and what teams do you think are not getting enough attention in the preseason that you expect to have a good year? This, nationally, not just Pac-12. Like, uh, across, oh, nationally? Yeah, nationally. When you kind of hear the different narratives, who are you hearing that you're thinking, you know what, way too much credit for them? And then are there other teams out there where you're thinking, you know what, they're going to be better than people realize? Yeah, I'll give you two of each. Um, one is Auburn. Um, Auburn's in the top 20 for everybody. Um, clearly talented. They got a couple kids on the defensive line who are ballers. They got this kid, Derek Brown, who's a first round draft pick coming up. But they're starting a true freshman at QB. Um, obviously, they play a ridiculous schedule. I think if you're going to pick them to be number 16 in the country, you're essentially saying they're going to finish third in the SEC, um, third or fourth, basically be nine and three, maybe 10 and two. I don't see that from Auburn. I think they're obviously a good football team and they're going to beat up on the bad teams in their schedule. Just seems high. Uh, another one is Wisconsin. And Wisconsin to me is like a Utah and that you expect a certain thing from them every year, and you almost don't want to discount them because of the fact that they have a formula and a recipe and it always works. But Wisconsin's going to start either a, a new kid at quarterback in Jack Cohn, who has played almost just a little bit at the end of the last season, a true freshman in Graham Mertz. Um, they rebuild on the offensive line. They rebuild on the defensive line. Obviously want to give them credit as a program. It just seems to be number 17 in the country as they are on the coaches. Um, probably not, not going to cut it. And for two, that quickly that will be really good. I think Army should be in your top 25 for everybody. They've won 21 games the last two years. They won 11-2 and two last year, bring back a lot of talent. Um, they play Michigan on September 7th on the road. That's probably a loss. Otherwise, they'll be favored in 11 games in the regular season. Agreed. I think they're going to be really, really good. And Nebraska is a team that, to me, is ready to pop. 
So Nebraska, TCU, Baylor, all these teams that are kind of off the radar, all three, I think all three will end up in the top 25, eight to ten wins. Paul, BYU opens uh, next Thursday hosting Utah. Uh, then they go nine days later at Tennessee. A week later, they uh, host USC for a 130 matchup in Provo. And a week after that, they host Washington. Of those four games, how many would you be willing to place a $100 bet that, you, that BYU would win? Oh, gosh. One. You know, okay. I think Tennessee is the most minimal one. Look, and the other ones are at home, and who knows with Utah – um, and who knows with SC, obviously. You know what? Scratch it. Because Tennessee's on the road, I'm saying SC. Because I don't know what is about. I mean, they're rebuilding their offense. They're going to go air raid. Got a five-star JT Daniels who got a seat right last year. They could be good. They could also be trash. They could be five and seven again. Who knows yeah. with SC? The other ones, like Washington, I think Washington's going to be really good. Tennessee's a tough road trip. Just like survival, right, guys? Like, if you're one and three at that point, but you've looked good, is that okay? Is that okay? Yes. Obviously, two and two would be the dream, but if sure. it's one and three with a nice win and they've looked good in the other ones, I would take it for BYU, especially with what comes next. Mm. Completely agree. Completely agree. I, I know that winning is the biggest thing at the end of the day, but you're you're punching above your weight in those four. And if you were to even get one and play really well in the other three, I'm right there with you, Paul. Uh, no two ways yeah, about it. What, what One thing, so everyone, when they talk about BYU, right, they talk about, oh, that September schedule is so tough, so on and so forth. Like, it's not like it gets that much easier, right? I mean, I'm looking at it right now. At Toledo, Toledo's perennially one of the best teams in the back. Probably not as talented, but well-coached. Mm-hmm. At South Florida, tough road trip. It's a lot of time zones. Boise, to me, I have them in my top 25, and we all know about Utah State. I mean, it doesn't get that much easier. You know, I just – when I see some people saying this could be a 10-2 and football team or a 9-3, and yeah, that seems like best case. I mean, I'm talking dream scenario. seems like 9-3 and with this schedule. You mentioned Toledo, Southern Florida, Utah State, Boise State. I'm interested on your national reaction to my belief that BYU's program should be better. Not to say those programs are not good, but I feel BYU's football program should be better than those. Do you agree or disagree and why? Oh, as a as like a program overall, oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, yes. Like, I, I, I don't put those programs on the same plane as BYU on an overall sense. For this specific team, yeah, I mean, they should definitely be better. I love this offense. You know, I mean, the kid at quarterback seems legit. Bushman, to me, is one of the top tight ends in the country. There's a lot of weapons. Like, for a specific game, I'm going to – barring the disaster that, I mean, honestly, could unfold those first four weeks where things really fall apart, I would pick BYU in all of those road games, mm-hmm. even Utah State. Boise's going to be tough. It always is. But BYU's got Boise's number to a degree. So they could really sweep all four of those. And if they do that, they're going to win out. I mean, obviously. Well, San Diego State, who knows? But if they sweep those four, it's going to be a really good year. But in a very generic sense, BYU as a program shouldn't be losing at Toledo, even at Toledo or at USF or at Utah State. No disrespect. As a program, they should be winning those games. And I think that's a metric maybe that you can keep an eye on is we expect to win those games. Do what you want in the first four. Play Mm -hmm. hard. Let's get one or let's get two. But those other three road games, I mean, BYU should, in a general overall sense, win each one of those games. Paul Meyerberg, USA Today, with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, last thing for me. uh, We all know about the gap between the P5 and the G5. That's evident. But when talking about national championship caliber teams, how big is the gap between Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, and everyone else? Oh, okay. Well, hey, I'm really glad you included Georgia, right? Because most people say Clemson, Alabama. I think Georgia's right there. And look, like, 
we've seen them. <laughs> they should have beat Alabama two years ago. Should have yep. beat Alabama last year. Yep. So I think all three of those teams, yeah. Until we know what Jalen Hurts can do at Oklahoma, or until we know if Oklahoma can stop anybody, um, they're not in that group. And until we know what Ryan Day is truly about, or Justin Fields is about at Ohio State, they're not in that group either. You know, just so happens that those two are still ahead of the other one, everyone else from six onward. But yeah, those three teams, the gap is significant, guys. Like, I, I, we've all seen him play. I've seen him in person. I mean, the, the gap is significant. You know, coaching, talent, development, evaluation, the gap is real. So it would be surprising to me. I, I know it's August 22nd, anything can happen. I'd honestly be surprised if one of those three teams, if someone other than those three teams won the national championship, which speaks to the state of college football 2019, that it seems almost a foregone conclusion that, you know, three of the 130 are really those teams that you've got to beat for the national championship. Well, Paul, amazing stuff, man. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Happy college football New Year to you, and uh, we'll look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Yeah, for sure, guys. Enjoy it, and uh, let's get it started. Thanks, Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Gosh, he's great. There you go, Paul Meyerberg. Interesting what he had to say that and as a program, BYU should be outperforming the Toledos, the Utah States, the USFs of the world. Well, I think every BYU fan say an amen to that. Yeah. Because that But that, have they been achieving that? Not necessarily. Well, yeah, so the interesting part was uh, so Cougar stats, they do they they do BYU statistics on Twitter. It's a, it's a couple of guys who do just break down a statistical analysis. I saw this earlier this week. I think on Thursdays when I saw it. You can, I'll, I'll see if I can retweet it. But it's in the last 45 years, BYU against Power 5 opponents, and that's kind of the current Power 5 structure, if that makes sense, they have traditionally won 40% of those games. Other than that, they've won 80%. So 40% win percentage against 80% versus non-Power 5 teams. Since they went independent... Those numbers have dipped into the mid, so it was like 35, 36% versus the Power Five and into the 70s versus other teams. And they said if you take out the 2017 season, which we all think kind of, we think it's an anomaly. I think most of us agree that it was more of a blip rather than the rule. It looks like they've kind of pulled themselves away from that. You take that out, and the numbers as an independent for BYU. 39 like 0.8% against Power Fives and like 81% against otherwise. So 45 years of history, and it's hard to argue with that. That's hundreds and hundreds of games that have played out. BYU traditionally is a 40% win clip against Power 5 teams, and then they they win 80% otherwise. So it's the one thing I would say, it's hard for me to um, put aside that season. I I get that. Because it has led to their current state of the program. That's in the history of this program right now. Correct. But even with it in there, it only dips it into the the mid 30s. So it, it. the numbers hold pretty true here. It that they are, that they overperform against yeah. teams that were are traditionally in the G five level. They're pretty good against them. Eighty percent is a yeah. very large win percentage, and they're kind of play punching above their weight in yeah. the P five world. You win, you're going to win four out of ten times you play against a power five team. So that would lend you to think, okay, they're winning one to two games this year if it holds true against these power five teams that they have on the schedule, and that would validate what Paul Meyerberg says BYU should be doing. They should be better than these Toledos, the Utah yeah. States of the world. Have they done that recently? No. The 2017 season, we can't, yeah, you, said, you can't cast it aside. I was just saying you, you take you take that out and the numbers yeah. rebound. You can't take it out. We'll see this year if they're fully kind of rebounded from that, if that makes sense. We'll see if those numbers hold true. Yeah, this, this year, this schedule for BYU is like, it's, it's so interesting because they're 
playing four P5 teams, which mm-hmm. you heard Paul there say, if they get one out of the four and they play well in the other ones, like that's a win for you. Correct. But then you get in, these G5 opponents, they're playing some pretty good G5 opponents. Toledo is good. Yeah. They're, USF, they're probably not as good as Toledo, but they're a decent team. Utah State is good. BYU Boise. or Boise State is good. San Diego State, traditionally pretty decent. Yeah. So it's they're playing some good G5 teams. There's only one soft spot in the schedule. It's the it's, end. It's, yeah. it's, it's the first three weeks of November. Yeah. Liberty should beat Idaho State. UMass should win all three of those games. Outside of that, though, there are nine legit opponents on yeah. that schedule. And so it, that's why we'll see this year, like you just said, if they have returned to a part where they are better than those teams and maybe can pick off a couple yeah. uh, P5 wins. And if that, and that holds true, okay, let's say you have you, so you have eight games here against non-Power 5 teams. So if you're going to win 80%, that's going to stick you at seven of the eight in theory just playing the numbers and it's yeah, yeah. rough. You win seven of the eight, and then in theory you're picking off one to two of these in the Power Five, the first four games against the Power Five. That puts you that eight eight win mark that I think most BYU fans are kind of tabbed as the goal for this season. And I think BYU fans, if you'd get to eight wins, call it a day, celebrate it, and move on. What about eight wins but no win against a rival? That would be rough. Because that means you have picked off uh, Tennessee and SC or Washington, but you did lose to Utah State, Boise State, and Utah. That would be rough. I still think. That's, yeah, that's why I love this schedule. Yeah. Because so, there's so much on the line. There is. Yeah. I, and I'm going to make a bold declaration right now. I think BYU wins at least two of the three rivalry games this year. Okay. Uh, I, I'm on the record. Go with it. You can. I'm not saying who right now, but I'm, they'll go two out of three this year. And the next interview you hear, there's some interesting things that uh, coming out of that interview uh, about the quarterback position that uh, we can add to this conversation as well. Um, he has he likes Utah as a maybe a dark horse team that can maybe find their way into the playoff, but more likely a New Year's Six. He also was talking about how he thinks the Pac-12 can do a lot for its image this year, even if people aren't watching as much. Because the Pac-12 is a... It's, uh, as Paul was saying, people maybe aren't paying attention as much. They're just saying... This is the reputation of the Pac-12, mm-hmm. and this is what people have voted for. And you're speaking of Cam Miller, who we're going to have coming up. Uh, the quarterbacks one, yeah. Okay. But the, this one's back to what Paul oh, was saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. I got confused. Yeah. No, my bad. Yo, you're right. It, it does make it for an interesting conversation piece because there is a perception issue for the Pac-12, plain yeah. and simple. And to overcome that, if you're Utah, it's going to be tough to do in just one year. But it, we talked about this in the first hour. If they have these other teams that are in the top 25 really push as well, that would help quite a bit to have just at least more than one team trying to make a push. Does that make sense? Washington's yeah. kind of carried the heavy load recently. They've done it by themselves, it feels like. Yeah. Well, you don't want Utah to do the same thing. You want to have some other teams in that conference also pushing with them. Yeah. And they, I mean, as fans don't want to hear it, but they need USC to kind of come back. They do. And if you want the Pac twelve to look good, you need USC to look good. And it'd be nice to have UCLA have a resurgent yeah. year as well. Yeah, them as well, of course. To have these five teams that are in the top twenty five to start the season have good years also helps. Yep. It, it's gonna it's not gonna be fixed in one year, let's put it that way. Right. But you can help yourselves a lot by having a solid season this coming year. Yep. I totally agree. All right, on the other side, Cam Meller with Pro Football Focus ranked every single starting quarterback in the country. We'll talk about where he had the local guys and some of the opponents as well. That's all coming up next here on the Saturday Show. Saturday. 
The weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. to the Saturday show. I'm Jake. He is Adrian. Thanks for joining us on a Saturday afternoon, whatever you're doing out and about doing the honey-do list. Uh, summer is quickly drawing to a close. Kids are back in school this week, mm-hmm. Adrian. That's weird to think, but college football is here, so that means the summer, for all intents and purposes, in our sphere of the world, in terms of the media, summer's been over for a little bit, but it's officially, officially over, starting tonight with college football back on the docket. Yep. You guys had a chance on Tony and Austin this week to catch up with Cam Miller. And Pro Football Focus is an interesting website to me, Adrian, because it says Pro Football in the title, but they have branched out. They do a lot of college stuff. And they've actually had some very good things to say about quarterbacks and other players here in the state of Utah this offseason. But none more so, I think, than the ranking you're going to hear about from Cam Miller, where he went 1 to 130, Mm -hmm. starting quarterbacks, in college football and ranked every single one of them not an easy undertaking no and um, Zach Wilson comes in at 30 on his list Tyler Huntley at 27 and the one I think surprised a lot of people around here is Jordan Love for Utah State coming in at number 20 he addresses that why um, where he thinks these quarterbacks can end up and uh, why maybe some other guys are ahead of Jordan Love in this uh, ranking as well as some stuff about opponents of upcoming uh, local teams as well. So here is that conversation with Tony and Austin. So joining us right now, Cam Miller with Pro Football Focus. Cam, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, how are you? Hey. hey, I'm doing great. I got games to act, real life games to watch <laughs> on Saturday, so I'm, I'm super excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how tough is it when you're when you're putting stuff together? Everybody's excited for football season, and you have to. Uh, make lists or put stuff together when games have not been played yeah it's uh I, it's not as as fun or as glamorous as it usually is when you're looking at data these games happened almost now we're looking at a full 365 days ago for some of this stuff and some of these highlights i was watching but at least you know it's my, my job could be a lot worse i could not be able to watch football all day so mm-hmm. yeah it's true how were you ranking these was this on a uh, a pro career prediction or expectation list or how did you rank these quarterbacks what was your thought process so i went through and it was a, it became a labor of love to, to say uh, the least about it but it was a, a long process and i used our grades our our play-by-play grades uh, and our cumulative season-long grades. And then I even took it a step further. Now that we are in our, our sixth year of grading college, which means we officially have anybody that's going to suit up for college football, we have every snap they've ever played at the Division One FBS level. So I used it and I looked at any, any career grades, career data, and this was not a look at their NFL projection. It was just more so what they're bringing to the table and what our numbers show for mm-hmm. them into the 2019 season. So nothing about the draft, just what they are as a college quarterback and what they mean to their team. How hard is that to put together when you're looking at different levels of competition for each of those quarterbacks? Yeah, did you have a so social was, life? Was, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I broke in my wife and my child into, you know, hey, football season's around the corner. I don't have weekends by, by using this project for it. So I, I lost a couple of weekends here. I lost a couple hours of my life when I just got sucked into the zone of watching throws. But I did, I did use our, our play-by-play grading, which does factor in and have a little bit of a minor factor of the strength of opponent and the strength of competition 
And then I did, uh, you know, the eyeball test with those as well. So if a guy was grading similarly, but it was in a, you know, playing more of the Charleston Southerns of the world, then, you know, that got weighted a little bit lower in the, in the eyeball test as well. But I leaned heavily upon uh, what our, our play-by-play grades well, let's jump into uh, some of the specific spots for these guys. And now that you've done all the work, let me sit back and try and criticize you, if that's all right, Cam. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> no, but really, uh, the first question I have is, Jordan Love at 20, you probably feel that's a real nice tip of the cap and compliment to him, and it is. There are some here, Tony and I feel like he should be in the lower teens. Uh, do you feel that that yeah. is about where he should be? 20s, 20s there. I honestly think of the group of five guys and where they're placed. Jordan Love has the, the ability and the, the, the chance to rise faster than the others. I, I think like a, a guy like Nathan Rourke at Ohio at 19, just one spot above him. Rourke's done it now these two consecutive years of elite grade. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it is. Love may, you know, I saw the comparison, what, just two days ago that an NFL scout said that he's Mahomes-like. And so we do see some of that deep passability from love and I did kind of want to pencil him a little bit higher but I think that I put a little in my personal notes I have an arrow for guys that I think basically like hey let's look for them with a great grade I'm gonna I'm gonna keep these rankings fluid and hopefully you know he's the guy I have my eye on actually to move up even higher yeah that's what I wanted to get to and you may have uh, answered this question already so but out of all the guys kind of in that top 30 or so what quarterback did you have having the biggest capability to make the biggest jump in 2019 I, I still think it's that the actually the other Utah quarterback that's the lowest on the list is Zach Wilson. He's got last year is when the grades really started to start to trend upwards for him. Obviously, capitalized by the bowl game performance, the record-setting bowl game performance. So if he has a couple of those games, honestly, I think that that's where his arrow is trending right now. And then you know a pretty decent schedule against Power Five teams for BYU to to open up the season. If he if he starts putting up some elite game grades like he had at the end of last season, that's where I think he's actually the, the, the chance to move up quickest. Uh, the, Zach Wilson, I thought, was a real big compliment uh, for his uh, what you, where you had him because you just had the eight and then the bowl game to go off of. You didn't have too much film or too much uh, uh, experience to go off with Zach Wilson. Do you feel like that film now may uh, hurt him as teams have a, a scouting report against him, or do you think he'll overcome that? I think he overcomes it. I think he... He is the, uh, I want to say, a prototypical quarterback for today's uh, landscape of football. He does everything you want him to. He takes the big shots and takes the, the necessary risk when the defense allows for it, but he's safe and he's controlled when the ball, when it's also called for. When the defense, they shut down the first, second, and third read, he knows where to check down. He knows where to look for the safe receiver, so to speak. So I extrapolated his numbers, and if he were to play a full season, he's up there with the likes of Trevor Lawrence in adjusted completion percentage, which is our metric that takes away incompletions outside of the quarterback's fault. And so to be in any sort of category with Trevor Lawrence, it's a great thing for Wilson to be right there at him, equaling Trevor Lawrence in a one of our big stable metrics is just speaks to how well he did perform last year. Tyler Huntley of Utah had some really bizarre stats when looking at the fact that he had one of the highest drop rates uh, that happened to be out there. Uh, he only had, I think, six passes total that were interception worthy, like so were dangerous or, or something you wouldn't want to see somebody uh, put out there. And I love that Pro Football Focus really delves deep into this. When you look at some of those things that were out of his control that had affected him negatively, do you get the thought or the idea that he could make uh, a big jump forward in 2019? 
Yeah, he, it's similar. All three of these guys, all three of the Utah guys here, they're up there. They have that ability. They have that arrow in my little personal notes to say, hey, it's a green arrow. Watch. We're going to move him up. Huntley, if he returns from, you know, in full form and healthy form would be big. He did. Yeah, only six of our turnover-worthy plays, which is doesn't matter what the box score shows. If it's an interception-worthy throw, if it was a throw that was just it hit the defensive back in the hands, that's a turnover-worthy play, but only six of them. So then you combine that with the fact that he did. You mentioned the drop rate, too. It was a 10.5% of his passes, of his catchable passes that he threw were dropped. That's the third highest in the nation. So you then move that to that adjusted completion percentage that I talked about with Wilson, and it's the fifth highest in the country. So that's behind, a guy. I think, Mason Fine was number one at 79. So his Tyler Huntley is just under 78. So he's right there with the nation's best at this adjusted completion. And so there's not he's not a game manager by any means either. He's still averaging a decent yards per attempt. He can he just does everything. He is Cam Meller. He's with Pro Football Focus. He joins us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, what quarterback nationally then is most fragile and possible to take a step back from what you watch and, and what you've analyzed? Interesting. So I got to go a guy right there at 21, Jared Guarantano, Tennessee. He had equally high highs with those of the top quarterbacks there was he actually had the highest rated performance of any quarterback last season it was his game against kentucky he lit up the field with these huge throws a couple of them were dropped he still was placing these balls perfectly but he followed that up his next game and his next two games were games that were below our poor outings so he has the propensity to have these high graded plays and he also showed that he regresses and he doesn't regress to a mean to the mean he regresses even further down to a lower tier quarterback so in the SEC slate he needs to be con- be consistent and he needs to put those consistent games together against SEC foes otherwise we see him at, with a high chance of sliding a lot of people still high on Boise State, picking them to win the Mountain West, and Utah State uh, has that quarterback that's ranked 20th. You've got Boise State's guy, if they choose him and make him the starter. I haven't seen if they've announced it yet, but Hank Backmeyer, you've got him at 111. Does that going to really hurt Boise State this season a lot? I do think so. So I think you have I, – I think I think Bachmeyer's the guy. I think there's – you know, he's got all the chance to do so because of the injury to, to, or the rehab for Chase Court. So I think you have – Bachmeyer's got to be the guy, or maybe it's the guy to pencil in. No one's going to replace Brett Rippon, let's face it, and what he did for them. But I do think in today's football, unless even if you're, especially if you're an option offense as well, but for the majority of college football and in the NFL for that matter, it's a pass-first league, pass-first country now. Even Stanford last year ran more passes than they did runs, and that's unheard of for the past five years. So it all relies, the most important position in all of football is the quarterback. And so to bring in a kid like Bachmeyer, sure, a four-star recruit, but in the Mountain West, he's got to actually probably exceed those expectations for him and for the Broncos to succeed. Jalen Hurts was not featured as much as Tua Tagovailoa, and Tagovailoa wins the job. He was the better quarterback. I don't think there's any doubt. But I've also tried to remind people that Jalen Hurts is still a very good quarterback, and he now heads over to Oklahoma. In your eyes, especially with where you have him ranked, I get the sense you feel like this is going to be a really good match for him and for Oklahoma. I do. And so I think if any coach in college today and maybe even of the past decade or two, if there's any coach that can get the best out of a quarterback, clearly it's been Lincoln Riley. So does Hurts come in and become the third consecutive transfer quarterback to win the Heisman at Oklahoma? I don't think so. But I do think 
Hertz has all the ability to run an offense that Riley can dictate for him. He's got the two highest-graded running backs as well with him. He's got all-world C.D. Lamb, Grant Calcaterra, but I think we, we actually have Lamb as a better all-around wide receiver prospect than even Marquise Brown was. So for that, he's got all the weapons that he could possibly want. He is the third-best running back in his, uh, in his backfield with Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon, but I do think Hurts, you know, the one thing I don't like about Hurts is every, every yard you go further as his average depth of target, he started grading poorer and poorer. And so I think if, he, if we increase a deep passing or his ability to, to pass past 10 yards even, that's where Hurts can actually hurt some of these big 12 defenses. Uh, Khalil Tate at 10. KJ Costello at seven. I think Khalil Tate got hurt, was hurt last season, obviously with the injury. People forget that he's still capable of doing what uh, some people believe his potential is. But KJ Costello surprised me at seven, Cam, because uh, David Shaw at Pac-12 Media Day kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, "We see that he's got these tools. He shows it in practice. Now we need him to do the complete thing in a game. Why do you have him so high?" So I think, and it actually turns back to the, the what I mentioned earlier, too, with turning the Stanford offense, they ran more pass plays than they did run plays for the first time in over five years. And so that's all based upon Costello, in my opinion. So he, he pushed the ball downfield. He is he actually had the highest grade of any Pac-12 quarterback last year, and that's even a, over a guy in Herbert. Now, Herbert's two-year grade is significantly better because of his 2017 shortened season that Herbert was all-world and going to contend for the Heisman again. But... Costello, he, he does everything that a pass-heavy offense should do, and that's take these awesome deep balls. He's got a beautiful deep pass, and yes, he had J.J. Arcega-Whiteside to catch those if they were contested, but he just he put the ball into places that only his receivers could get to more often than he did not, and I love the way that he actually dictates that offense. And that's where I think Costello, he was grading very, very consistent and very, very consistently well all season. So I think if he maybe has a couple of those breakout performances that we've seen from some others, I think maybe that's where David Shaw's open for from him. But all, all, all over, overall for, for Costello, he just has a really solid grade that he's increased year to year now. And going into 2019, I think we're just going to see that grade go higher. Cam, this was great quarterback conversation. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, hoping we can have you on again throughout the season. But until then, uh, happy college football near, uh, New Year to you. My pleasure. Same to you guys. There you go. He likes the trajectory of all the local guys here. He believes he he said in his notes they've got a little green arrow that he believes they will have a chance to rise in the rankings. Hey, we'll take it. Fascinating numbers on Tyler Huntley though. Yes, third highest rate of drops in the country last year. Ten point five percent. That's ten percent of balls are hitting his hands and they're being dropped. He also, among quarterbacks with at least 150 attempts, he only threw six turnover-worthy passes by their metrics. Really? That's fascinating, actually. Which means something's going wrong with the other guys out there. And obviously that has to do with the drop rate a little bit. We remember that Pac-12 title game, off the hands, off the leg, pick six. So um, that's... that. That lends to the belief that maybe Tyler Huntley can have a pretty special year if there can be a little more catching of the football. Well, I think any Utah fan over the last four or five years has probably screamed at you. Yes, yes, Uh the wide receivers, and they have dropped passes. They've dropped big passes in multiple games. Third most in the country, apparently. But third most in the country is stunning, honestly. And there needs to be an uptick in terms of catching the ball for the University of Utah because Tyler Huntley is not a bad player. He is 
legitimately. I, yeah, I think he's a top 30 quarterback. No problem No problem there. I would quibble with Jordan Love. I think he's a little bit higher in my mind and, than 20, but that's still f- stunning. Third most drops in college football. And if you're Tyler Huntley, you have every right to be upset about yeah. that number. You should be like, yeah, you should. he should walk into the wide receiver position. And just put that on the board. Up, walk up to the board with a little thumbtack and just jab it into the board and then point right, at it. 10.5%. That's what you're say, dropping. You see this? You see this? All you see in this? Yeah. And then walk right back out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you should do. Uh, a couple of things also that was interesting. You talked about uh, Jared Guarantano from University of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Talked about he, he may have the biggest uh, margin of looking good and looking terrible. So when he is great, he's great. But if it falls off, he falls off further than anybody else. Okay. And uh, that's obviously something to look at for what um, BYU is looking at. If they can come in with a defensive game plan heading to Tennessee, they may be able to find themselves in a pretty good situation if they can get that guy off his game. And then uh, Boise State's Hank Bachmeyer coming in at 111th. That was kind of surprising. On these rankings. He's a true freshman, though, yep. so it's a little bit surprising. But – it's kind of crazy to see a, a Boise State, State might be up for grabs this year if you're one of the local teams playing. That. And you heard my bold declaration last segment. I just feel like BYU is going to pick off two of these rivalry games, and I think Boise State is at least one of them. So we'll we'll see. But they've got a lot to figure out up there in Boise. Yep. Uh, so kind of interesting stuff. If you missed that conversation, quarterbacks is always the talk. And uh, he believes Zach Tyler and Jordan Love could have pretty special seasons this year. Well, hey – we're all hoping for it. Yeah. Plain and simple. So go ahead. Check that out. If you've missed either one of those interviews with Paul Meyerberg or uh, Cam Meller, go to 1280thezone.com. Uh, you can look under Tony and Austin. You can listen to both those interviews right there. Yep. All right. Well, on the other side, Jake, I bid you adieu. Fare thee well. As I'm headed to coach some volleyball a little bit. So Good I will miss you. you for the rest of the show. But I appreciate you having me on. And No problem holding down the uh, last hour of the show uh, we're gonna get five minutes of soccer in what do uh, what do our listeners got to be watching for in the three o'clock hour? it's rivalry week in okay. soccer we got colorado rapids in rsl we'll talk about that next three o'clock hour we did this last week we're going to talk some high school football looking back on week two of what happened cool there. sean jumping on with you uh hoping to have him cool. we'll yeah. see what his how his schedule shakes out but we'll also um talk a little bit more about just about college football some of my thoughts on the upcoming cool. season plain and simple so uh, make sure to stick around uh, i know you'll miss me but uh stick around with jake and uh, he'll lead you on headed into the movie zone and beyond as uh, it's a fun saturday show or a fun saturday and a fun saturday show here on the zone sports network so that is all coming up next i'm adrian i'm heading out but jake's gonna lead you the rest of the way here on the zone sports network Welcome back to the Saturday Show. I'm Jay Catch, carrying you through the roughly, I guess, final hour of the show. We've got five minutes of soccer here. It might be a little shortened up, but we're going to be hearing in the 3 o'clock hour. I guess we'll tease it right now. We're going to hear in the 3 o'clock hour, BYU head coach Kalani Satake. I spoke with him one-on-one earlier this week during BYU media availability. You'll hear from that in the next segment. But instead of American football, we're going to talk some actual football for a minute here. Real Salt Lake in action tonight. They are part of MLS's Rivalry Week this week as they host the Colorado Rapids in Leg 2 of the Rocky Mountain Cup at Rio Tinto Stadium in Sandy tonight. 
Uh, kickoff in that match scheduled for 8 o'clock Mountain Time. Of course, you can stream it on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, KMYU will have it on local TV as well as the KSL TV app or KSL.com. So many ways to take it, take it in. RSL has an opportunity here to really stay in the upper echelon of the Western Conference in Major League Soccer with a win tonight. They are 12-10-4 on the year. They had a six-match unbeaten streak and a three-match winning streak snapped by a loss to LAFC last week 2-0. Of course, LAFC, far and away the best team in the league this year and one of the all-time teams in my mind when it comes to MLS soccer. But a big opportunity for RSL tonight no doubt, and we'll see what happens uh, with everything going on tonight. But I know my producer today, Eric. He's got a he's got a keen interest in Real Salt Lake. And Eric, what are your thoughts on this rivalry showdown tonight? Listen, I I, have, I, I, t- I was talking to you about this. Maybe it's just because the Rocky Mountain Cup obviously means a lot to the franchise. Does, yeah. But to me, I I no longer view the Colorado Rapids as as a rival. Oh, you're over it. Like we just. We beat them. Hold on. So are you saying are you're a Utah fan? It's like, well, BYU's not our rival anymore. Yeah. We've won eight in a row. Basically. <laughs> okay, okay. I got it. Basically. Like, we have dominated the Colorado Rapids. All right. They aren't – SKC's a much better rival because as far as standings go, we're always in about the same spot every single year. So we're the same caliber of team. Mm-hmm. But the Colorado Rapids, let's face it, they're a bottom feeder team in the MLS who – can't seem to get their coaching right and haven't really found strikers. And by the way, Tim Howard has been awful this year. Um, Correct. And it is just, it's sad that it's not more of a rivalry. I think I would be honestly, it's the same as a Utah fan looking at the BYU game. If they were to lose this game by even a goal Mm -hmm. tonight, like even draw zero, zero, like that's a disappointment. That's yeah. a loss. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think yeah. RSL should win this. Uh, Colorado's been more competitive in recent months since that coaching change took place. But, yeah, like you said, they're, they are one of the bottom feeders in the Western Conference. All right, that'll do it for five minutes of soccer. Coming up next, BYU head coach Kalani Sitake will also get up on the hill as well. And coming up at 3.30, we're going to recap what happened in high school football week two as well. So a lot to get to here on the Saturday show coming up. Next, right here on the Zone Sports Network.